Well, thank you very much, and thank you for your warm welcome here. A number of you uh, supplied furnishings for the home that we're renting. Uh, By the way, we're just uh, about a mile away from here on Denham Lane, Heritage Hills area. Um, But thank you so much for all that you've provided, and uh, we... When we came in Thursday, we were so blessed to see the house already set up, the furniture there in place, and it looked like an interior decorator had come in and put it all together, and uh, thank you for that. And uh, the deacons supplied a number of household items that help us get started. It was uh, just such a blessing, and, and we are delighted to be here. We really sense uh, this is the Lord working in our life at this point to, to be here among you for this season and to minister as your pastor here for as long as the Lord has us here and looking forward to what God is going to do in this next year. Um, and this is a strange passage to begin with. Normally, your first uh, Sunday, you don't start with uh, fire and brimstone, but we're going through Genesis Uh, At least uh, you have been working through the book of Genesis, and guess where we are today? Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah. So if if you would turn to that passage, I wanted to just uh, continue on that study you've been been doing, at uh, at least uh, maybe take it through Genesis 22. We'll actually take a couple of weeks to go through 19, chapter 19. We'll do verses 1 through 22 today, and then verses 22 uh, or 23 through 38 next week, Lord willing. Um, You know, as believers, we live in a strange and sometimes strained relationship with the world, in that we are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And so there's this constant battle going on within us, a a battle for our minds and what we will be thinking and how we should think, and a battle for our hearts and what we love. And that that battle works out into daily life in uh, the areas of impression and influence. And sometimes that's uh, subtle, dangerously subtle sometimes, but other times it's very much out in the open like it is in this chapter. And so uh, I invite you to read along with me just to get the, the flow of this story. We're going to read 1 through 22, and then we'll go back and, and look a little bit closer at some of the points. So starting in verse 1, Genesis 19. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, 
Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. But now, see, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Lord, we come to you this morning. As we look to your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts, our minds, our understanding to the things that you have for us today that you would be exalted in our midst, that you would be pleased to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we just going to do ver- through verse 22 today, uh, but I do want to just uh, look briefly out of the passage for, part of the passage for next week. That is, um, verse 23 through 25, it says, The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, 
and what grew on the ground. What I want to point out about that section right there, those couple of verses, especially verse 24 and 25, is all that this chapter of 38 verses has to say about the destruction. When we think about Genesis 19, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's good to keep in perspective that what actually the description of the destruction only takes those two verses. That is, that is not the emphasis of the passage. Sure, it's what happens. It's the most dramatic thing, perhaps, that happens and how we usually think of it. But from God's perspective, there's something more important, and that is people. And so this passage really is about people and God's mercy towards people and God's judgment of those who reject him. So it's, it's more about people than just the event itself. And that's why we're going to look at this from, from a point of view of, of believers and our problems with overcoming the world. So we have uh, a couple of main problems that we'll address this morning. The, par- the problem of impression and the problem of influence. <clears throat> First of all, the, the problem of impression. And we can all uh, struggle sometimes with trying to make good impressions or impress people uh, that we are different than we are. That usually fails us. I remember hearing uh, Pastor Gordon McDonald tell a story on himself when uh, he was a fairly new pastor, recently out of seminary, went to a new church, is going to be the senior pastor there, and um, the church had completely renovated the pastor's office just prior to his arrival, and as on his first day, he walked into his new office, which still had the smell of fresh paint, and sat down at his desk and uh, put his feet up on the desk and kind of sat back there and just enjoyed it for a moment. And he heard a, heard a knock on the door. And he didn't want to seem to be idle, so as he's sitting there, he picked up the phone. And he... he Asked the person who's knocking on the door to enter. And as they entered in, he's pretending he's talking. He says, uh, well, you know, uh, Brother Graham, I'm not going to be able to take that crusade for you. But I, I tell you what, Billy, if you, if you give me a call later on, I'll see if I can squeeze you into my schedule. And he hung up and he asked the, the man who had entered, uh, how can I help you? And the man said, well... I'm from the phone company, and I came to hook up your line. (laughs) Often when we try to make an impression, it backfires on us. Well, I want to talk about our impression of the world, and as a little bit of a background that we need to think about when we see Lot here in, in Sodom, how did he get there, and So just a brief review. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 13. And we're going to look at verse uh, 10 and following of Genesis 13. This is where Abraham and Lot had so much blessing, so many animals that uh, the land could not sustain them. So Abraham came up with a suggestion. Why don't we divide up? You pick where you want to go and I'll... I'll pick what's left over and and so forth. And so verse 10 says, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan 
that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It, it was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. So this is a, a beautiful spot. This is, remember, these, these people came from what had been known as the Fertile Crescent from Mesopotamia. And they come here, and, and Lot is looking at this, and it's described as being like the garden of the Lord. This is a beautiful spot, and so it, it looks good. Verse 11, then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Be careful just because something looks good, it looks inviting, it looks tempting, does not mean that, it's, that it is good, or that it is right, or that it is beneficial, or it is God's will. This is true from the very beginning as, as Eve found out and sh- as she was being tempted by Satan uh, to, to consider eating the fruit and she saw the fruit that it was pleasant to the eyes and to be desired and she took and ate of it. It looks good, but it's bad. Look at verse 13. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. This is some statement that God is not just saying they're sinful. We're all sinful. We all are sinners. We understand that. But but this is God's description that they were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. It, It looked good, but it was very bad. This is this is like chocolate covered arsenic. You know, it looks like something you really want, but you better not partake of it. And we think that we can get near it without getting into it. The world and all its trappings. And I was curious recently I, about uh, people who visit the Grand Canyon. Have, have any of you been to the Grand Canyon and I heard it's pretty impressive. That's, that's on our bucket list, right, Sherry? We want to go there sometime. But uh, do, have you uh, heard of people falling off the Grand Canyon? Yes, it actually happens. And uh, according to the Arizona Daily Sun in 2015, of the 55 who have accidentally fallen from the rim of the canyon, of the 55... Guess how many of them were men? 39. About 80% were men. Go figure. Eight eight of those men were were hopping from one rock to another on the canyon rim. But a number of them have fallen off because they were getting their picture taken. And they wanted to get as close to the edge of the rim and so they, they come to the very edge, and excuse me, turning my back to you, but they, like this, take my picture now. A number of them, that was their last words, take my picture now. There was a, in fact, there was a 38-year-old father from Texas who was pretending to fall in order to scare her, his daughter. But then he lost his footing and indeed fell to his death. These are tragedies. These are 
people who get too close to that line, who, who think they can pull it off, We think that we can get close to the world. We can get close to the fire without getting burned. So verse 12 says, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. He, he thought he could get near it. He he pitched his tent toward it. Now, to, to pitch your tent toward a person or a place was an idiomatic expression back then. It, it didn't mean just that you set up your tent with your front flaps toward the place. Although that could be what it indeed turns out to be. But, but it was an idiomatic expression for identifying with a person or a place. So to pitch your tent toward Sodom meant to identify with that place. Uh, we see that in the New Testament as well in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And actually the Greek word for dwelt there is not the, the normal word like minnow. But it's, it's a word that means to tabernacle or in the Hebrew idiom, to pitch your tent toward. Literally, what Jesus did is that when he put on flesh, the word became flesh, and he pitched his tent toward us. See, see, to pitch your tent toward someone or a place is to identify with them. That's the purpose of that verse in John 1, 14, that he came, put on flesh, in order to identify with us as people. Well, Lot did this, with Sodom. He identified with those people. And so when we, when you get to chapter 19 now, please turn there. We see not only did he pitch his tent toward Sodom, but we find him. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So, what is he doing there? He, he's not only identifying with the city, he has become a leader of the city. And so his impression of the world drew him closer into it. But let's think about the world's impression of us. First of all, we can be seen to be useful to them, at least for a while. And, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Sitting in the gate was, uh, was where, where people, uh, where the leading men of the city would congregate in order to transact the, the business of the city, the special uh, uh, judgments. Uh, this is like where Boaz, who was wanting to get um, Ruth's hand in marriage, negotiated for her at the gate of the city in Bethlehem because that's where you would, you would take these civil, legal matters to be uh, disputed and people would sit there as judge and only the recognized leaders of the community would do that. So Lot is sitting there. That means that, that they had received him, accepted him as a leading citizen and by now he is sitting as a judge so he's gone from just merely identifying to, 
to being an integral part of the civil life there. And it means that he was also accepted by them. So he was found to be useful. Uh, He sat in the gate judging. Perhaps he was the only one who, who knew how to render a fair verdict. And the world will find us useful for a time. But the problem is, eventually, if we are living our faith, we block their goals. And then, we are rejected. This is what happens in verses 4 through 9. As the, as the men of the city gather together and they want to get at these two angels who appeared to be men. Lot intervenes and he blocks their goals and They were furious with Lot for standing between them and their wicked desires. That happens to us as believers too. People of the world will gladly accept uh, what uh, moral wisdom we might have for a time. But when that comes to block their goals, that's when the backlash comes. When we are seen as being intolerant toward sin and so forth. So the world's impression of us is that we can be useful, but only to a certain extent. But now the problem of influence. And, you know, there's an old saying that it's it's good for a ship to be in the ocean. But when the ocean gets in the ship, that's not so good. And so, you know, we're we're in the world, but when the world gets in us. That's not so good. When its influence takes over us. So we are in the world, but beware of the world getting into you. So first of all, let's consider our influence on the world. And I'm not referring to the gospel's influence here. But to to ours, personally, day by day, in our living and rubbing shoulders with others in the world... We think we have influence, like verse 7. Lot is pleading with them, and he said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. So we we think that we have uh, some kind of influence in calling them to righteousness. But an unrighteous person is not going to pursue righteousness on their own, no matter how much we tell them they ought to. What they need is Jesus Christ in their life to change their life. They need to be saved to be able to pursue righteousness, not because we think we can expect them of it. We think we have that influence, but we really don't. Only the Holy Spirit has that influence to work in their life, but We actually have little or no positive influence on our own. So verse 9, look at the reaction of the the men. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in here to stay and he keeps acting as a judge. Now they're saying, who are you to judge us? Have you ever heard that one? Who are you to judge us? Now we will deal worse with you. Than with them. Or look at verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons in law who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. 
But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. They just mocked him. After all this time, and they had married his daughters, he, he was just a joke to them. Now, we are supposed to have positive influence in this world. We are to be salt and light. But it must be on our own turf and not theirs. On our own terms and not theirs. By God's standards and not theirs. And just give you a quick example of this. When I was first saved, um, I was in the army in Germany at the time when I came to Christ. And um, I was able to witness to a, a co-worker who, a month after I came to Christ, he came to Christ and then uh, we shared the gospel with another guy named Tony. He came to Christ, and we started studying the Bible together and so forth. But Tony decided he wanted to go where the the need was. He, he decided that instead of going to church and Bible study, he was going to go to the bars and talk to people there. And we weren't quite sure about that. No, we're all new believers, but we thought... I'm not sure that's the right thing to do, but Tony went to the bars and started trying to make relationships there. Well, Tony never returned to church, never returned to Bible study. He got dragged into the bar scene himself. So, yes, we're supposed to have influence in the world. Jesus ate with Publicans and sinners, right? But he always did it on his terms, always by God's standard, always in terms of righteousness and not on the world standard. So be careful how you do this. And uh, we find that we need help in this area. We on our own have very little influence, but we need divine help and uh, Look at the help that is provided here in verse 10 and 11. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. So Lot begins by trying to rescue these two angels. And then the angels have to, in turn, rescue Lot. And they pull him into the door and uh, into the house and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. It's interesting, this word blindness here is a very unusual Hebrew word for blindness. In fact, it's only used one other time in the, the whole Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings 6.18. It's a word that refers not to, to physical blindness, not to an inability to, to visually see, but it's a word that uh, is talking specifically about mental blindness. It is uh, in, a, in which one sees, but what one sees is not the right object. And so, for instance, they would be thinking that they saw a door when really it was the side of a house or a pole or something. They saw, they could clearly see. 2020 vision, perhaps, but it was the wrong thing. This, this mental blindness, um, a very unusual thing, but this is what, what the angels did in order to protect Lot and his family. 
And now I want to end with uh, the world's influence on us. The world's influence works together with our old nature in that sometimes we become willing participants. Our old nature within us um, is gr- gravitates towards the things of the world. We, we see what the world has to offer and sometimes it makes sense to us or it's attractive to us and we desire it and our old nature gets involved in it. But the world's influence on us is... Um, it draws us into itself. It leads us to irrational and sinful decision. It leads us to hesitate in doing God's will and leads us to compromise in doing God's will. So just very briefly, it draws us into itself. And notice in chapter 1, uh, chapter 19, verse 1, there's Lot sitting at the gate of Sodom. So he's already become a, a leading member of this community. Then when you get to verse 7... Look how he addresses him, and he, he said, please, my brethren. He has so identified with them that he's calling them his, his brethren. And it leads us to irrational and sinful decisions. Look at verse 8. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you that you may do as you wish. And so when we start thinking like the world, we are not thinking righteously anymore. In fact, we're not even thinking rationally at times when we start thinking as the world thinks. How in the world, we wonder, could Lot have made this offer? And the, the usual explanation of this is that at that time, it would have been considered a less evil for him to offer his daughters than the evil of him allowing his guests to be violated. But still, it's still a wicked thing, is it not? And so, the world's influence on us, if we let it, will lead us to irrational and sinful decisions. Number three, it leads us to hesitate in doing God's will. Verse 15 and 16 In the morning dawned, the, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. So they're urging Lot to hurry. Verse 16, and while he lingered. While, while he lingered. This is like there's a tornado coming, and it's you're dead in its path, and there's a storm shelter, and someone's begging you, get in the storm shelter now, and you're, you're lingering, wondering, well, maybe I'll go back to the house and get a cup of coffee first, and why would you do that? And so he's lingering, and so the angels take his hands and the hands of his wife and the two daughters, and they force him out. They bring them out. <clears throat> the world's influence on us as it leads us to hesitate in doing God's will, but I find something remarkable in this passage as well. Verse 16, And while he lingered, the the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. This this is a jewel in the darkness of this whole story, isn't it? 
this whole story of doom and gloom and the influence of the world and the wickedness of Sodom and the the darkness of all this. And here's this jewel that stands out, the Lord being merciful to him. How merciful our great God has been to us. His mercies are renewed every day. How grateful we are that God has shown his mercy in our lives. God can be merciful to us because there was a time when he was not merciful to someone. On the cross, he had no mercy on his son so that he can have mercy on you today. The Lord being merciful to him. And fourth, it it leads to compromise in doing God's will. Verse 17 came to pass when they brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, No. Please, no, my Lord. I've got a better plan. You know, know, when God shows you what he wants you to do, convicts you of something, and then you, you think, well, you know, let's try it this way, Lord. I've got another idea. This is what Lot is doing. Please know, my Lord. Indeed, now I've found favor in your sight. You have increased your mercy, which you have shown me in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. Now here are these angels sent by God to rescue him. And he's thinking, yeah, but you know, if I go to the mountains, I am not going to be safe there. Could God not also take care of him in the mountains? If he would, if he would send two angels to rescue him, do you think God could also handle that as well? And so he comes up with an alternative plan. See, now the city is near enough to flee to. And it's a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. So it it was near. It was was still under the influence, being in that plane there, it was still under the influence of Sodom and Gomorrah and the wickedness that they had. And that's the way of the world. We... We want to get away from our sin, but not too far away from it. It was near, it was, it was convenient, and, and so often what we want to offer to God is not His full will, but something that's partway there, something that's near, it's, it's convenient for us. It was less dangerous, He thought, and it was little. In fact, it's repeated twice. Is, is it not little? In fact, and so it was called Zoar, which means little. Is this, is this a little place, Lord? Is this a, is this a little compromise to what you want? How often do we justify sin in our own life? It's, it's just a little thing. It's not as bad as this big thing. It's just, it's just little. 
And so Lot's will was accepted and the angel said, see, I've I have favored you concerning this thing also in that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city is called Zoar. And as we will see, as the passage unfolds, Lot got his way, but he lost his way in so doing. So in conclusion, how, how much influence does the world have in your life. In what ways are your decisions about what you will do or not do affected by the world? And does your love for Christ and your your desire to obey him and please him mark you as being different from the world or do you blend right in? Several passages, just very briefly in closing, to consider as John wrote in 1 John. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You, you cannot love God and man. You, you can't love the world and God at the same time. It's like telling your spouse, I love you, but I love my lover as well. It's not true love then. You can't love the world and God at the same time. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Later on at the end of 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, John reminds us that we know we, that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Do not be deceived. The way of the world, the worldly thinking is not just secular. It is satanic. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Out there is not neutral territory. It is claimed by Satan and then counterclaimed by God through his people. In 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And how do we do that? How, how do we then overcome the world? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. For, for example, it's when we have faith that God is our provision, that then we don't look to the world to be our provision. When we have faith that God is our protection, then we're not looking to the world for our security. When we have faith that God is faithful to his promises, then we will not look to the world's shaky promises for anything. So... Toward which direction is your tent pitched this morning? Is it pitched, pitched toward Sodom? Or, or is it pitched toward Zion, the city of God? Is your heart in tune with God's heart? Do you love the things that God loves? Or 
is your tent pitched toward Sodom and do you identify with the world? My guess is that for many of us, our tent is actually pitched toward Zoar. You know, close to the edge. You've been flirting with sin and the danger of it. You, you've landed on the border of judgment. And if that's you, then turn away. Flee to the mountain, Mount Calvary. Flee to the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we know that we have been too easily influenced and impacted by the world and the way of the world and the world's thinking in our life. Our own sinful nature has bought into the lies of the world and we ask, God, that you would forgive us. That by your Holy Spirit, you would lead us to be committed to you, to love the things that you love, to love you supremely above all. Lord, we ask for your faithful working, your gracious working. We thank you for your mercy. And I pray, Lord, for any here who have not come to know you yet, who, whose tent is pitched towards Sodom, as it were, that before judgment comes, that you would rescue them, that their hearts would be open to you, that, that we all would know for sure if we were to die today, that we would be in heaven with you. That by your cross, by your atoning sacrifice there, you have paid for all of our sins. And anyone who puts their faith and trust in you can know that full forgiveness. And Lord, for those of us who have done that, who do know you, Lord, we pray for your strengthening, guide us, cause us to walk in your paths of righteousness for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray.